0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: On this edition of the Believe in Chicago Sports podcast, we discuss the big news on the South Side this week as the White Sox are moving on from Rick Renteria and Don Cooper. Then, on the second half of the show, we are joined by former Chicago Bear and co-host of the Believe in Bears podcast, Cameron Lee, and get his thoughts on the monsters of the midway. All that coming your way on episode 11,
0: now. Welcome in to the Believe in Chicago sports podcast, your number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Joey Gelman, and on the other side of the Skype is Dan Collins. You can follow him on Twitter at tweet Dan Collins. I'm at Joey Gelman on Twitter. Our show now is on Twitter. Believe in Chicago at Believe in Chicago, part of the Believe Podcast Network. To so follow us on all those lovely platforms, and Dan, as you—oh wait, hold! Oh, sorry, one more thing. You can. Listen to the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, there we go. or wherever you get your podcasts. I got I, you know. There's these intros you got to remember them. So many wherever details. you're listening to
1: us now, you can keep that up too. Yeah, that too. For all you listeners. There we go.
0: <laughs> now let's get into it, Dan. I know we're going to talk White Sox. We're going to talk some Bears. Excited to bring you our Cameron Lee interview. Awesome of him to join us. Um, let's start with those White Sox. I let's for do it. I for, I know you're the Sox guy, but I'm going to start by saying. I was shocked that they fired Ricky Renteria. I know he had his issues, but man, did that guy get screwed on both sides of town? Not Two rebuilds and not going to see him through? Why? Why were you
1: shocked? I'm curious to know this. I was shocked. shocked. as if you didn't expect it, right? You see the news, you see the notification, and shocked in the sense that you just didn't think it would happen this soon? You didn't think it would happen like this soon in the offseason or this
0: year period? I was surprised because I didn't think it would happen, probably this soon or even okay. this like in the next year or two. Because year or two because he took be him to the because he took him to the playoffs. Maybe I'm blinded okay. by that. Maybe it's a Doug Collins fog that I have for this team. But but okay. I, I I I was in that headspace because I never really knew what Renteria could do with a team that actually was competitive. Because with the Cubs, he didn't really get that chance. And so seeing him take him to the playoffs and as good as they were this year gave me a new confidence in him that maybe was unfounded as the Cubs fan on the side of the show.
1: Fair enough. Uh, I think when the news broke and this is why as soon as it happened, anybody who was putting any kind of prediction in right away, you heard Hinch, Cora are those who want to be the guys because the feeling that it happened so soon Is so that the White Sox can strike while the iron's hot, right? So you have these big names that are out there, managerial names that are out there, because of a cheating scandal. You know, a twenty seventeen cheating scandal. We'll we'll touch on that in a bit. But suspension is up. If AJ Hinch or Alex Cora want to coach a major league ball club again, they can. And considering now, you just want to, you know, you part ways. You get this World Series over with, and then you make other MLB headline news by hopefully. I'm, I'm as a Sox fan. I'm saying hopefully bring one of those guys aboard. I know there's the whole Tony Larusa thing, who's supposedly leading the way. We'll get into that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but that is why I have a feeling, and I think that's why the majority of people had a feeling. You scratch your head a little bit there and go, hmm, pretty early. They really, especially with Don Cooper too, you know, a mainstay right (laughs) in the organization for almost 20 years, and he's gone. So what that tells you right away is the Sox mean business, and rightfully so. The windows in any league, you know, we talk about this, and in in any sport, you got to attack while the iron's hot. They're never necessarily these long five plus periods. You you got to get it while you can, and that's why all the stars were aligning to potentially. A very hot shot managerial candidate, such as a Hinch or a Cora. So that's why it didn't strike me as too shocking. It sucks for a guy like Renteria, right? Who almost had that opportunity on the north side to help be the guy to bring them all the way across the finish line. And he had so many subpar Sox teams that he had to manage, and they just get it right, but. I honestly just think he needed to be way better. And considering he had a similar situation with the Cubs this year, this postseason, for the amount of question marks there were, mostly with the pitching staff and how he managed that. And if you want to win in today's MLB, you definitely have to know how to manage a bullpen. You definitely have to know how to manage your starting arms. And yeah, you have to put a good lineup out there, week in, game in, and game out. And there were too many question marks for somebody who had to prove a lot, you know, you're, you're going into an off season where there's some real big names out there. And I don't think, unfortunately he did enough to convince the white Sox. Yes. You 100% get another chance at this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Um, I'm still going to stick by that. I was surprised, but based on what you're saying, it makes sense. it, it is a guy that that was able to reestablish a culture, a positive culture nonetheless, and agreed and, and and took advantage of a situation where he was really able to groove and grow players. The ability to speak Spanish helps tremendously with the with the players they have, and was able to really bring a swagger back to the south side. and And I give him credit for that. but but you're right. there there are a ton of questions with certain decisions, especially in the bullpen. And you're, you're in the same situation now as the Cubs found themselves in, where you are on the precipice of getting to that next great point, and you know your manager is okay, he's established a good culture, but there's that next guy out there that you didn't expect to be out there, like a Joe Madden. And now you're sitting yeah. here with the White Sox in a similar situation of wh- whether you like Adrian or Hinch or not, it's the idea of that caliber of a manager who's won a World Series is out there, and we have to get him – to take advantage of the situation that we've built for the White Sox in pretty much expecting a World Series championship at some point in the next two years.
1: I don't think enough can be said about the great job Renteria did within the clubhouse and serving as someone who helped cultivate that culture and that swag. And he did a big service. I mean, that part I think will stay. No matter what manager it is that you bring in, I still think they're going to be the swaggy boys on the south side with the, you know, the, the jerseys down a few buttons and the gold chains hanging out and bat flipping and just having a good time. I think that culture, for the most part, remains because I think the White Sox will bring in whoever it is they do. I hope they don't bring in someone who you just know right off the bat is a threat to that type of fun culture because I think that is definitely a big component on what helps this team go. Now, in terms of the strategy, you know, just strategizing a game plan and managing a lineup, managing a bullpen and a pitching, you know, in and a, and a starting pitching staff, that's different. But all the things beforehand, I think, you know, you, you can't say enough wh- of what Ricky Renterio was obviously able to accomplish. Um, and, I, and I don't think that that necess- I don't think that's going to go away. Joey, help me out with something. I'm here for you. What do you need? Like it, I get that the situation is crummy because, just like I said, Rick Renteria helps build that culture and does a good job there, and gets a very very small chance. It's one postseason, right. right? It's a short. It's a short series. He gets one chance to prove himself. Doesn't, and now the White Sox are moving on. But I'm seeing a lot of verbiage out there, and I'm you know I'm hearing a lot of things about it's. It's such a. Just cold thing to do, or it's just you know cold business move. Or wow, they went the the Sox went straight for the jugular. They're all about the win now. No shit. I mean, right. but, But it it doesn't seem cold though. I mean, I know you can use the line of well, business is business, and that's true in this sense. But I don't think there was any wrongdoing at all in this, right? I don't think it's anything that's not loyal. I don't think there's anything cold about it. I don't think it's just this bold, get out the way, we don't care, move. Like it that, that just doesn't make any sense to me because you know what? If you don't make this move and Renteria makes some mistakes next year and you go without getting a Hinch or a Cora or or a big name, now you're looking at the team and going, oh, typical White Sox. They wanted to stick to their guy and be super loyal, and they didn't get the right in here. I don't think anything they did went against their culture or went against – just loyalty. I I, I don't get, I don't get that type of narrative that's being floated out there here and there. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Well, no. It, it, if anything, it went against their old ways and their old right. culture of loyalty. Like that's I I would take that away as a Sox fan and be like, finally. It's the same when we saw yes. when the Bulls did their overhaul. It's like finally. Like get. I, I understand loyalty is important, and 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 I guess that's something you you should. You should do it, business, but in in reality of sports, a lot of the teams are loyal to a fault, and they lose, and it's continued losing, and and everyone has the blinders on. And and I think now you're at a point with the Sox where you know this is your only chance in this next probably three to five-year window of winning a World Series. Mm -hmm. You have to do everything possible to do it. So as much as I feel awful for Ricky Renteria— Right. It's it, it, it If you're Rick Hahn and you're sitting in that chair and you have all the power, it's the exact move you had to make because you know that next guy you're getting is the man that will lead you to a World Series. It, it, it's plain and simple.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess cutthroat is even like kind of the word I was looking for. I don't, I don't think there was anything cutthroat about no. it whatsoever. It's not, it's
0: not nice. It's not great. I feel bad for him. But it's if you know that's the next thing and the only thing you really need to get you to that next level, you – you, you you have to do it.
1: I'm I'm 100 yeah.
0: here.
1: I, I'm, glad, I'm glad we agree on that at least. <laughs> no debate going on there. Uh, before we get to Tony LaRusa, oh God, there's, <laughs> there's well, there's two really fun topics here, right? So you look at the front runners, at least the names that are being thrown out there. I want to get to Tony LaRusa second because apparently he's the at the top of the list. Um, but first, let's stick with the Hinch and Cora narrative here. Um, I am 100%, especially if it's Hinch who gets the job. I have almost nothing, nothing that will irk me considering he's tied to that 2017 Astros cheating scandal. And I'll tell you why, but first I want to get your your take on that. If you were, I mean, you, yeah, you root enough for the Sox maybe. I know, I know you're a diehard Cubs fan, but it's not like you root bad ill you know against the white socks no so- only
0: uh, only evil Sox fans root against the cubs cubs fans are nice people <laughs> They're, okay well uh, i'll say you. you're a nice guy so sure <laughs> the one sample size
1: that's good enough you. For, me to, for, for me to agree but do you think there's anything wrong or if you were you know a big Sox fan would you have any worry any care any discomfort if it was somebody like a cora or aj Hinch due to that 2017 trash can scandal
0: My answer is yes. I I do have a problem with it. And it's difficult for me because I really like the way AJ Hinch managed before all this. I liked what he did with the Astros. I liked how he managed Charlie Morton in that World Series clincher and and really proved a lot of stereotypes wrong in the postseason and yada yada. But something is still irking me the wrong way about this. And I know it's going to sound hypocritical because I don't really feel the same way about the steroid users. For some reason, there are different categories for me. We can do a whole show on that. Sure. But – For AJ Hinch, there's something really wrong to me about being a manager of a team that is knowingly, collectively cheating with buzzers and cameras and trash cans and iPads and all this stuff. And either one being complicit with it and actively engaging in it, which really wasn't found that he did, but he kind of got the blame for it. But also mm-hmm. the idea of not having the wherewithal or not having the leadership to see that going on and then squashing it immediately. And and that's what concerns me of as good of a baseball mind as he is, the fact that he didn't take the ownership and leadership of it either up front or during or whatever really irks me the wrong way of I don't want this guy to lead my my team. And and I know there's morality questions with Every single player manager you have, I, I, I know that, and it's, and it's tough to balance them. But there's something there of, of it, it's one thing if a couple of guys like take steroids and the onus is on them and they're the cheater. In this scenario, like it was a whole organizational structure that enabled and condoned the cheating, and that's what that's what rubs me the wrong way.
1: I think that's fair. I guess my take on that's very fair. I guess my take on it would be this: is he served his punishment for it, right? It's not like he tried to. He's not out there trying to, you know, swiggle his way out of you know any type of ownership of it for the most part. And I would hope whatever next job it is, whether it's with the White Sox or another ball club, that. He's really upfront about it. There's gonna be tons of questions about it. Oh, your first season back, or you know, your first beer you're, you're, you're back at the helm after this scandal. He's gonna have to answer plenty of questions about it. So I hope he's just as upfront as possible whenever his next managerial gig is. And I think that maybe it's just part of my personality or something, but everybody deserves a second chance, right? I mean, that, that that's my thought is everybody deserves a second chance. He served us he served the punishment and now let's move on. And it, like you said, like you got, you have players out there whole a generation's worth of players in the steroid era and things like that. And I know you said they're almost to you. They're in a different bucket to me. They're in a different bucket as well. And like you said, that's a topic for a whole nother show. But me as a fan, if it was hinge, whether you come to Chicago or not, just wherever, like I said, his next managerial spot is, I'll be okay with it. And I do think it's fine. I think it's fine for the game. And, The biggest thing here is, let's just say it's the White Sox, right? Me as a fan, this is what I'm thinking. There is no damn way he makes that mistake again, right? The White Sox are not going to be banging on no trash cans. They're not going to be doing any crazy type of cheating because he would be out of his mind to be part of another one of those scandals, right? I mean, think about when this happened, or not when it happened, but when it came out that the Astros were doing this. Everybody was saying, Man, there could be plenty of teams. For all we know, it's half the league who's doing this. And, you know, that's just speculation. But, yeah, you don't know. But I almost feel it's funny because I feel like if you get a guy like Hinch, you could cross the White Sox off as one of the teams who are not doing it strictly because he'd be a fool to do it again. Of course. So so I guess that's one good component about it. Although I don't think many people would give me a golden star for that point. But still, (laughs) it's it's something to think about, right? Yeah. And I think that he's he's still a great choice. I think scandal or not, he knows how to make the right moves. And that's somebody who, who you want, somebody with that type of coaching pedigree, managerial pedigree, to coach this team through this window, this championship window. And apparently it, it may not even be him anyways. It might be Tony La Russa who has some <laughs> trophies of his own. But, I mean, that's that's my take on it there. And I guess that brings us in to this idea – that Tony La Russa, what is it? Almost nine, se- nine years later, or whatnot, mm-hmm. going to return to a, a major league baseball managerial position? That is wild to me. I, I, I don't know what is going on there with that. Um, I don't know if La Russa is just trying to get back into baseball, and this is like this interview is part of the process just to get his name back out there. No idea. I don't know how ideal of a move that would be. Maybe back in 2013, if you told me La Russa was coming back to the White Sox, that would be kind of cool. But where we're at now, at this stage, and there's one thing you really, really want in a baseball manager, at least if you're me, and that's trusting and diving deep into the the analytics that Mm -hmm. we have involved in the game. not saying if La Russa came back to the game he wouldn't do that, but I would have some questions. I would have a lot of questions and concerns in that department. Um, just because he's simply been out of the game, like I said, yeah. for almost nine seasons. Lots that changed. there's been There's been so much analytical improvement. So it's oh, like
2: yeah.
1: whether he's against it or not, even if he's all for it, it's still things and stuff. He has to catch up with trends and reading those numbers and getting all that information and now managing after compiling it because, I mean, you're talking almost a decade now. There's been plenty of analytical oh, advancements. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's that component with it and it's just, it seems just so past its time. It it just doesn't make too much sense to me. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to anybody. No, I don't know how much realistic truth there is to it, but it's out there.
0: (laughs) It is. We're talking
1: about it. And to me, it just seems a little crazy.
0: Yeah, it's nuts. I, I, as much as I don't think AJ Hinch should be the manager because of the cheating scandal, scandal. I think he is the best choice you could possibly have, and I think Tony Larusa is the absolute worst choice you could possibly have. I mean, it's it it it's a fascinating concept that's even being entertained. I know people have been talking all day, whether it's Twitter, or sports radio, whatever, about is this Jerry Reinsdorf stepping in? Is he want his guy back? And, and, and I I would hope that's not the case because I hope Rekhan's in full control, but. I think that is a complete step backwards. I I, I think you you'd be bringing in a 76 year old manager, not to be ageist, but but you're bringing in a guy that's been removed, like you said, from baseball for almost a decade, and is a complete antithesis—big word of the day—of the of the culture and swagger that your team has built. Everything from what the what what the Sox have meant to the city this season in terms of their play on the field, the marketing off the field, the whole the, the bat flips that changed everything. If you have Tony La Russa in there, that's like another Mike Matheny kind of guy of the old-school, no-fun baseball. I mean, it, it would make no sense, and they have no idea how to, how to manage the current game. It, it, it's changed so much. Like You don't think a decade could change something like a sport that much, and I would say the last decade in all four major sports has yeah, been probably one of the more innovative and analytically driven changes in the history of sports. And you'd and be going, fun culturally and fun, too. yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I think you'd be going so far backwards; it just would make no sense. And especially, I mean, let's be realistic here. We're in an era with a global pandemic that mm-hmm. is kind of crazy, and, and and the thought yeah. of of bringing in an older manager to be on the road or in your home ballpark for 162 games in the middle of this. I don't know how I yeah. could even feel comfortable doing that. I'm trying not, not trying to be morbid, but I'm just trying to be real. Of yeah. if Johan Moncada can't come back from it in his prime for an entire year, what are you going to do with your new high price manager that can't that can't travel to all your games, and then you've missed out on your on your AJ Hinch type manager.
1: That's reasonable, well, like you said. Yeah, not not to be an ageist, but you also have to think about if it were to be him at that age. It's not going to be for a one or two year stint, right? It's not going to be a one or two year contract. Is what the heck be is that even in the worth? World
0: Series? Like, what are we going to do?
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, well, it's a you would think it's at least anywhere between a three to five year right. contract. It would have to be right. You're right. not going to sign him on board for two years. That's another thing to definitely think about. It's crazy. Like I, said, I don't, I don't know how much truth there is to it. Are, are there? Are they going to interview him? Apparently, okay. It would be a hard sales pitch afterwards to. If, oh, if, yeah. that, if that was if that was the move they made, Bub.
0: So you're stuck between an uh, 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 a dinosaur Tony LaRusa or a man yeah. partially responsible for systematic organizational cheating. Where do you where do you turn, <laughs> White Sox? The man
1: who is partially responsible for the <laughs> systematic cheating, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it sucked. It, it's weird, but I think you get over it. There there's been plenty it's, the thing is, and I know it's different because AJ Hinch was a manager. It's a it's a leadership role. You're the man leading that clubhouse. From a responsibility standpoint, I understand where there should be, you know, more harsh criticism to him in that aspect. But think about it. The players who were involved and benefited from it. They're playing in the damn postseason now. Oh, <laughs> I know. I mean, they're down 3-0 to the Rays in the ALCS, but what if they were What if they were up 3-0 and they were one game away from the World Series? What if they, hell, what if they won the World Series this year? I mean, they're still freaking playing. (laughs) They're playing in the postseason. Probably not for too much longer. But, I mean, think about that for a second, too. And I get it. There's still more criticism that should probably be on the manager because of his leadership role. But still, I mean, we're... As much as a lot of fans think it was a slap on the wrist, we still have no 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 choice but to kind of get on with it, like, take it for what it was. And, and like I said, the Astros are still playing; they're not suspended a year. You know, it's not like the the franchise was banned from playing this year. Should have been. If I mean, S- Springer's going to be a hot name out there. Uh, a lot of these guys are once you know every single one of these top players on the team, the Altuves, the core, you know, the the Bregmans. Once they become available. Lots of teams are still going to want them, probably. Of course, <laughs> You know, and I mean, same thing with Hinch, and, and understandably so. You know, if if Springer changes jerseys or, you know, if down the road Bregman changes jerseys, I'm sure whatever team he's on, you'll probably embrace him with open arms, the majority of the club. And I think rightfully so. It, it sucks. It, it was a crappy, crappy situation. You hate seeing, like, a, just a weird, sketchy, awful scandal like that. But really quick, can you imagine the situation – if indeed it is AJ <laughs> Hinch, and then it just it starts there. Then you, okay, we, you have your little managerial celebration. Now it's on to the real offseason. You're bringing me in the players who are mm-hmm. going to come in and and you know be the finishing pieces to the puzzle here. What if one of those names is Bauer, Mister Trash Town T-shirt himself? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing? also, I'm sure plenty of Sox fans would take Bauer outage. I know I would. I would oh, yeah. love to see him in a White Sox jersey. I just don't want him coming in day one. If he gets signed and Hinch, and Hinch gets signed with his little trash town jersey, I don't know how great that would be. But still, a very, very, very long way to go to see who the next manager on the south side is going to be, and you know what free agents they bring in after that, free agent players that, that is. And then a last note on that too with with Don Cooper, crazy. I mean, I mean, just nuts. You're talking almost. How did 20- he survive
0: that long? Like he it's was impressive. So damn, no, I he know was so he was good, good, but it's just like no yeah. one has that long of a leash in baseball anymore.
1: Yeah, I, it obviously meant you know they they meant business, which is crazy. But to me, Coop was awesome. You know, as as a fan, I loved Coop, Brooklyn Coop. You know, like go out there to, to you know Mount and You could just almost picture that that New York accent. You know, talking to talking to the pitchers and I don't know. I, Great job he's done throughout the years with you know the pitching staff and obviously mostly renowned for that 2005 you know successful pitching staff going what was it back to back to back you know four straight games in the ALCS all you know shutouts you know complete game or not shutouts complete games I should say I'm sorry um, that that part was crazy that you know kind of sucks I don't think there's anything he necessarily did wrong you know that to where he needed to lose his job but I think it's just part of cleaning house as much as you can. And knowing that the next guy who comes in and fills that managerial role has free reign to, to bring in who he wants.
0: And that's all you can ask for. I mean, yeah. as, as much as it may be difficult for some Sox fans to, to see Coop go because he's a fun personality, you, if you're going to do this, you had to clean a house. Yeah. And, and, and you all had All good to things give... come
1: to an end. And yeah. still great memories of Coop. And to me, that's one thing you got to hold on to. Don't, don't be too sad about it. 2005 was a hell of a year. He had, you know, there, there was plenty of pitching pro, uh, projects he had along the way and did a great job there, and it was a great almost 20-year run,
0: you know? Yeah. Think of the positives. Just, just remember right. the good I'll methods. be positive. Cheaters and dinosaurs. I'll be positive. This is Yikes. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to wrap up our Sox talk here, and we're going to switch gears into the Bears. They take on the Panthers this weekend, Teddy Bridgewater and co. Dan and I got a chance to uh, talk with Cameron Lee. He's the host of the Believe in Bears podcast and the Believe podcast network with Joey Christopoulos. So we are going to jump into that interview now. He was a great guest, and uh, we're going to hear his thoughts on what the Bears need to do this weekend to come out with a win. Welcome
1: back to part two of the Believe in Chicago sports podcast. Dan Collins here with Joey Gelman, still driving this show along and now we have the pleasure of being joined by former beer and co-host of the believe in bears podcast cameron lee he can be found on twitter at comeback cam cam how are you thanks for joining us i'm doing well thank you guys for having me absolutely so uh, as mentioned you know you're the co-host of the believe in bears podcast with your co-host joey christopoulos and I just want to know what has been the biggest takeaway you guys have had on your show so far after watching the Bears for about a month plus of games already.
2: The takeaway has been that, you know, no matter how many games this team wins or loses, I have no idea who they are. And I think that's like kind of the definitive feeling for all Chicago Bears fans at this point. And I must be honest, you know, prior to uh, this experience and doing this whole this whole podcast, I wasn't necessarily like a like a diehard you know, uh, Bears fan, like, you know, my head and uh, just head first into all this Bears stuff. So I've really, like, picked up my intake of it. And I get it. I get the frustration for all of you lifelong Chicago Bears fans. You got to be a, a crazy person to do this. And but it's been fun. But, yeah, that's my, that's my definitive takeaway is that so far I have no idea who
0: this team is. So, like, why is that? Why, is, why do we always sit here and have no idea who this Bears team is? Or national media will come out and be like, well, this is clearly the worst 4-1 and one team, but they're 4-1. and one. It's like I can't, I can't wrap my mind about where to, where to sit with this team because, you know, the defense is good. But the offense, I continue to sit here, and it's the same thing year after year of we don't know where this is going to go. And, and, and that stops them every time.
2: Yeah, I think that there is something to be said about, you know, this is the worst four and one team in the league. I keep coming back to this. You have to be you have to be good enough to get lucky, if that makes sense. There are plenty of teams who are in positions uh, to maybe take advantage of a situation or come back, come pull a miraculous comeback, and don't do that. You know what I mean. So there's something to this Bears team, and you mentioned the defense. Everyone knows the defense; it gets talked up all the time. This offense does have playmakers. There are players that can step up in big ways and and take games over, and we've seen it at times uh, throughout the season thus far. It's just really a matter of consistency. It's a matter of getting on the same page. It's a matter of you know really getting the ball rolling and finding you know an identity, if you will. And obviously, a lot of that stems from the the quarterback, you know, struggles. The who who are we going to be from from game to game, week to week? Who's the man, you know, calling the shots? And and it's it's just those are hard things to to really establish with this team. And I think that uh, contributes a lot to just sort of the up and down Jekyll and Hyde personality of this team.
1: Cam, you mentioned it. There is no secret that the Bears. Year in and year out, it feels like for the past decade plus, ever since all of us have been watching Bears football, the offense just always struggles. They're a team, the monsters of the midway, knowing for being that defensive type of team that's going to carry it the rest of the way. How would it feel playing on a team like that year in and year out? And the narrative is that you could just not catch up with the rest of the league. I mean, you watch the NFL weekend and week out, and even some of your worst teams could put together great offensive performances. And for whatever reason, whether it be the bears, whether it's a quarterback issue, an online issue, a coaching issue, it just seems like they can't catch up. I wonder how to feel, you know, as somebody in that locker room playing, playing on that team, you know, if, if. For, for anybody there, like if you could just put yourself in their shoes, how do you think the the locker room feels? You know, week in and week out, where the narrative is you you just can't catch up to the rest of the league
2: offensively. Yeah, I could put myself in their shoes. I was there at one point. I played on a Bears team that had a pretty solid defense, and we had a pretty bad offense. And so there you go. I think I think that um, it's, obviously it's frustrating. You know, everyone puts in their time and their effort, and and does all this extra work in the off season, and and claims that when they get back there. And the regular season rolls around that they're going to be better. You know, that's kind of the the mantra you hear every single season: is we put in the work and we're this and we're that. And it's really a results based industry. And very often <laughs> those results just don't seem to show up. And I think uh, I think that's frustrating, obviously, for players. But I think that the at some point you kind of got to look at this and say it may be an infrastructural problem, because there are plenty of teams out there across the league that you know, for whatever reason are able to find that player in the draft or they're able to grow and cultivate that player or, you know, you make a trade or whatever it may be, you pick them up in free agency. Even, you know, other teams seem to be able to, you know, get over this hump, but you know, let's face it. Bears offensively have been a train wreck for a very, very, very long time. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're not here to, to point fingers and, and play the blame game, but you know there are good players. There have been good players, and um, just never really gotten over that hump in its entire its entirety. And I, I do think that I don't know if it's just an, an infrastructural thing, if it's you know from scouting to to GMs to coaches to players. I mean there there is there is a problem, and um, you know hopefully we're kind of on the precipice of of getting past that. That's kind of the vibe that Bears fans are starting to feel. Um, but yeah, that. It's, it is a crazy frustrating process to go out there and know that you're going to have this awesome defense that's going to keep you in games and give you opportunities at all times against any opponent, and you just can't put the points on the board.
0: And you would know it, I think, right, too? Like like if you're on the line and you see whether it's Trubisky, is under center, and you go, like, this guy just doesn't have it. And how, how, how do you keep that – that morale up when there is obviously that history and also in real time of we're making these same mistakes again. How do you how do you make sure as a player to kind of try to get through it and also if you can better the situation?
2: Well, I think that to even be in the room, to be on the field, to have the opportunity, there's a certain amount of hubris, if you will, that every single professional athlete has to have, and it's kind of that mentality that no matter what the situation is, you know, a, a professional athlete doesn't think that he's bad. He doesn't think that he can't compete. At no point does he think he's going to lose. He could be down twenty, and they still think that they've got a shot. So I think that that's part of it: is that there, you just kind of continue to show up and put in the work, and put in the time, put in the effort, and assume that at some point things are going to get better, and that you know you're just one play away, or or for whatever it is from from uh, from putting it all together and making it work. Obviously, we know as uh, as fans. Of the situation, and obviously sitting here as as parts of the media, uh, that that's not always the case. But that's that's the thought process. Though, there's not a single player out there that doesn't think that they have what it takes to you know to really turn things around and to and to be a star and and to to make this whole thing click.
1: You can't talk Bears football without you know always going back to the quarterback dilemma. And it took a few games for the Bears so to to transition over to Nick Foles. And I think the consensus in this town was everybody was okay with that. And I think that for the most part, a lot of people still are, even though you'll see a couple things, read a couple things of people still wanting Mitch back or they still want to give him maybe one more shot. In your opinion, who's best fit for the Bears under center and why?
2: Man, I struggle with this question a lot. And it's um, it's kind of frustrating because I believe that the team is a better is a more well-rounded offense and a better rushing attack with Mr. Trubisky at quarterback. Uh, and I think we saw that throughout the first couple of weeks. They are just more creative in the running game. You know, just the threat of him pulling the ball down and running for forty-five yards like he did against the Falcons—it just makes a big difference. And I don't know if it's schematic or what, Foles versus Mitch uh, and, and a comfort thing, but the the rushing attack is just more creative. And being an offensive lineman, that's what I like to see. I like to see them come out and run the ball. And they were far more effective in those first few weeks. Granted, Foles starting, they've played, you know, much tougher defenses. So you got to give him, uh, you got to give him that. But with him, we all know that Mitch didn't have the ability to throw the ball down the field. So that's a very large missing piece. But then we go to uh, Foles, who has the ability to make these reads to throw the ball downfield to to beat tighter coverages. And they don't seem to have a running game anymore, and so it's really a trade off. Either way, you know, I—I mean, I was not. This is. This makes me sound stupid every time when they when they went and made the decision to move off of Mitch. I wasn't sold that that was the time, and you know they made that comeback, and maybe Mitch wouldn't have won the game in the fashion that Nick Foles did against the Falcons. So you know what? Maybe I'm in the wrong for that. But I'm just not sure that, um, that that was the move. And, you know, through through these two starts, Foles has made some plays. But he also, I think there are areas where he has not shown to be all that much better. You know, he does throw the ball downfield better. He does get hot. I mean, that's what he is. He's a streaky, streaky, streaky quarterback. He looked really bad against the Bucks early on. And then put it together and put drives together and ultimately won the game. So, you know, one and one, I guess two and one, if you count the the Falcons victory, you know, he looks pretty good. And so I would say roll with the hot hand, but I don't, I guess where I land on it is Nick Foles is probably a more qualified veteran established quarterback, but I don't see like this great discrepancy because they both are better at certain things.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and there's a reason why Foles has jumped around to so many teams. You know, he's not, he's not going to be that elite guy, but he can get streaky and, and, and get hot. When, when you're talking about the running game, when you're saying it, it, it worked better with Trubisky, is that because a defense had to account for his legs in the scheming? And then obviously they would, they would build an offense a little more around that. Or it's just a matter of the play calling when Mitch was in was better, and the play calling with Nick Foles isn't accounting for, for a run game as much.
2: Well, partially it has to do with just his legs in general. Just the fact that a quarterback who is mobile is back there changes a defense because it's one more person that you have to account for at all times. Like, let's be real. There's no one that is worried about Nick Foles' athleticism and him breaking the pocket and and running downfield. There's just not, that's not anyone's concern. So it's just one less player. But also Nick Foles wants to be in the shotgun. And obviously the play-action game is much different from that position. So I I think it just changes a lot of things schematically. I liked what they were doing early on with Trubisky under center. Lots of play action, lots of rollout, lots of motion in the backfield. Lots of different things. It was just kind of creative. You know, the first couple of times we saw Cordero Patterson lining up in the backfield or, you know, this type of motion. Or we saw, you know, we'll see multiple running backs on the field at the same time. Guys are lining up in the slot. Just all sorts of different things. It's just It was just a bit more creative offense. And that may or may not be more effective. I think time will tell as we continue to see uh, more and more games and get the sample size to go up a little bit for Nick um, at, at the quarterback position, but they just don't seem to have some of that creativity. And granted, some of that also could be attributed to the loss of Tariq Cohen and trying to, to fill that void and some of the creativity that he brings to the field. But yeah, I mean, I just like the idea that in the modern NFL, my quarterback is one more person that you have to account for. And that creativity, the that threat with the legs, it just becomes a numbers game. And I just like that. And if and I think that if he was just slightly more competent throwing the ball downfield, I don't think this is even a question. Speaking
1: of the running game that definitely needs to improve, the Jets and Le'Veon Bell, whole lot of drama going on lately. They're not they're gonna part ways. Is Levian Bell somebody that the bears should dial really in on and try to try to get onto the roster.
2: I don't think, I don't see any reason not to pursue a guy like Le'Veon bell uh, in this position. Obviously I've been saying it from the beginning, the bears lack running back depth. Obviously the addition of a Lamar Miller is helpful. I think that David Montgomery is a true um, number one back in the NFL, but I've been saying it all year. They don't really have that number two guy. They've tried to convert Patterson into that role. Even when Tariq was healthy, he's not the type of dude uh, that can handle too many carries uh, between the tackles in a game. So I would love to see them, you know, get a guy like a Le'Veon Bell, who's, you know, maybe past his prime, but definitely has some experience. Is an explosive guy out of the backfield, can catch passes, can do lots of different things, and of course will bring some upside. Obviously, he also comes with a little bit of baggage, a little bit of drama, um, and probably a, a pretty hefty price tag. But he's uh, he's been paid well by the Jets and um you know maybe if you can get him at a discount if you can find a way to fit him onto that roster it's definitely someone that i think is worth at least taking a look at and and seeing if uh if there's some potential there
0: i love nfl running backs are past their prime at 28 that that makes me laugh every <laughs> damn time <laughs> i'm very it's scared that game, yeah tough, right it's tough game. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how, how big of a loss is james daniels for this lineup front
2: I, I think it's a pretty. I think it's a pretty big deal. James Daniels has been playing pretty well. Obviously, he's had some tough matchups these last couple of weeks, um, but it, it, it is a big deal. And I say that because continuity is a is a huge deal for an offensive line. It's probably one of the underrated factors that has contributed to the Bears' success or lack of success over the past couple of years offensively. And I say that because, like last year, you know Kyle Long's a great player. He's you know someone that you definitely want to have in your lineup. And so maybe he is a step up in terms of quality from like a Jermaine Fetty or a James Daniels or whatever that may be. But if you don't know who's going to be there from week to week, that's a big problem. So I think that James Daniels has been very effective in the running game. I've been loving his ability to get to the second level uh, on uh, on run plays and block guys and his athleticism is definitely a huge asset. But for me, it's just as much about the continuity. And all of a sudden you have to sub in a new guy and make it work I think that's just an underrated factor, and Alex Bars is, is an okay player. He you know he gave up the sack on his uh, first play in the game, I believe it was, against Tampa, but he'll be okay. He'll, he'll find, a, find the way to make things work, but it's not going to be quite the same. It's always going to be a little bit of a drop-off, so that, that is going to be hurtful for the Bears' offense. What are some
1: realistic goals this O-line can have and this O-line can do in terms of their efforts the rest of the way throughout this season to improve the run game?
2: Yeah, I think the the realistic goal is to is to get this thing back on track to get back to you know having I don't know if it's hundred hundred twenty five yards rushing for these teams uh, you know they've got a committee they've got guys that can make they can make things happen you know they've they've done a better job of uh, of limiting some of the penalties that they'd be kind of become known for and so I think that's great uh, but just coming out establishing that dominance that they found those early on in the season that Lions game. Man, they were they were dominant up front and and completely and totally controlled the offense or the the line of scrimmage, and they they look great for those through those first couple games. And that's what we want to see is just that, you know. And and the trenches, it's hard to find that stat or that metric that you go off of. You know, there's n- there's not a lot of those that we say, oh yeah, here's our goal. You eat, we can count pancakes or knockdowns or whatever, but just in the just in a broad general sense, we want to see that offensive line reestablish that dominance at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack and give, you know, these running backs opportunities to go out and make plays. And, you know, um, Dave Montgomery is a big time back and Cordell Patterson has proven that he is a sufficient player back there. And maybe Lamar Miller, maybe Le'Veon Bell, whoever it may be. We want to see those guys, uh, have their opportunities and it's going to be, um, all about them just continuing to establish that, that line of scrimmage and, and, i don't know i guess that's my goal is to go out there and see if this team can get 100 rushing yards a game
0: we got bears and panthers this sunday teddy bridgewater and co they've actually strung a couple of wins together here kind of going getting into the form i think everyone thought they would be i I know we're still early in the week but what are you looking towards this weekend as the biggest keys uh, to the game for the bears against uh bridgewater and the panthers
2: yeah, I, I say it every time, but I mean, I want to see them reestablish that rushing attack. I don't, I don't think that uh, that this Panthers defense is the type that is going to be should be able to stand up to them up front. They've had some injuries with Kaywon Shore and some other guys on that defense that are really important. So I want to see the Bears find a way to reestablish that running game that has been completely and totally uh, gone for these last two weeks. And so I think that'll be a big part is if they can reestablish that rushing attack, and that's the way this this entire offense rolls, is that. Once, the, once they are able to, to get that going, then we'll find the, the play-action pass, the passing game, all of that stuff. It all, in my opinion, is predicated on their upon their ability to run. We know the defense is going to be great. I know that we can go tit for tat with, uh, with their offensive playmakers, and, and I love our matchup on the defensive side of the ball. But can we reestablish that running game?
1: Talking with Cameron Lee, former beer and co-host of Believe in Beers podcast. Cam, a couple more before we let you go. Uh, one, we'll, we'll stick to football, then one more uh, fun one that Joey asked Coach Wani on an interview we had last week. You said you even go back and forth in your own head with Mitch or Foles, who's the better guy long term for this team, or at least the rest of the way out. When the Bears decided they were going to switch over to Foles, I agree with Joey, who said on the show, "That's it, Mitch era is over." There's no realistic type of way I can ever see Mitchell Trubisky going out again for the Chicago Bears, unless you know, you know, God forbid, you know, any type of injury or something like that to Foles. But anything other than that, barring injury, it's the the era is over, right? So I'm just wondering, I'll ask you the question of: Is is there any way? You know, besides something like you know, barring an injury that you could see, Mitch perhaps going out under center again for the Chicago Bears.
2: I don't believe in flip-flopping unless, unless uh, I mean, Nick Foles just plainly is not getting it done to like such a degree that it's obvious and apparent, uh, or like we said, barring uh, a catastrophic injury. But yeah, I I think that when you take um, Mitch Trubisky out of a game when you are at that point a, um, an undefeated team and you put Nick Foles in the game, that is as much of a psychological blow, not only to him, but the way that the players and team responds and respects him, that I don't think that can be re-earned. And, you know, that that was why it was hard for me because I wasn't sure that he had earned that. He played poorly. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that he was playing well. But I think that once you do that, I mean, like you've torn the Band-Aid off. There is no going back. And so, yeah, I I think that barring something crazy, something absolutely crazy, this is Nick Foles' team. And that's the way it has to be moving forward because such a strong message was sent when uh, when you pulled the trigger on that.
1: And then, Cam, it's been a wild, what was it, seven-plus months that we've been living in this pandemic-crazy type of world, and we're seeing on the football field and the scheduling a whole lot of things getting turned around and whatnot. Um, Just want to ask you the question, like I said, that Joey asked Coach Wani in our last interview. Is anything different you learned about yourself? Any kind of skill you've picked up? during all this social distancing and everything else, you know, that we've been having to do. I'm sure you've become a virtual meeting expert like Joey and I have potentially, but anything else you've picked up or trick or trade along the way during this uh, past seven months?
2: Yeah. I've, you know, like you said, with all these virtual meetings, I've I've taken a liking to this whole podcasting thing and, and doing yeah. the whole, uh, you know, the whole online meetings and interviews. And I've, you know, done a bunch of interviews with uh, different stuff regarding, uh, from the believe network and then other, you know, radio networks. And so I've kind of gotten into this whole deep diving into the football world and the media world. And so I don't know that if it's the future or what, but I'm really enjoying it. So I guess you could say that's something that I didn't know about myself. Didn't know how much I would enjoy, but it's been a lot of fun. And I'm, uh, I'm glad that I'm getting to do it on, uh, on this podcast right now. Love to hear that.
1: Um, He is former beer and co-host of the Believe in Beers podcast with Joey Christopoulos on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Cam, thank you so much for joining us.
2: I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much.
1: That's going to do it for us here today on the Believe in Chicago Sports podcast. Big thank you to Cameron Lee for hopping on and talking beers with us. For my co-host, Joey Gelman, I'm Dan Collins, and we'll catch you next time.